I literally almost jumped out of my seat when I heard today's podcast speak on stage. I'm not kidding you. Have you ever struggled with imposter syndrome or not feeling quite like you're worthy enough? We've all been there, right? Today on the podcast, we have Mike Proctor from the Whistle Realty Group, and he's sharing from a man's perspective how imposter syndrome has crept up in his life. And a lot of this might surprise you. Grab your tissues and get ready to be inspired to kick ass and also see what imposter syndrome looks like from a different vantage point. Let's do this. You're listening to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast, where we invite you to check your ego at the app, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to dive into all things real estate marketing, social media, friendship, hardship, love, money mindset, and all the things that celebrate you as a badass boss babe. We're here to encourage you, show up for you, give you a loving kick in the pants when you need it most, and be your soft place to land on the hardest of days. So pull up a seat at our table and get ready to be inspired and start living your best life by design. Welcome to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. We are so excited you're here. Okay, girls, let's dive in. Today on the podcast, we have Mike Proctor. He is a key player on the Whistle Realty Group in the San Diego San Diego area. He got into real estate to help friends, family with all their real estate needs and really became their go-to person. He has openly shared his struggles with imposter syndrome and beliefs of not being worthy of success. Last year's sales volume was $18 million. Holy cow. And I feel like he's just getting started. So welcome, Mike, to the show. We're so excited to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I've listened to a handful of episodes, and uh, I feel very honored to be uh, a man that's been invited onto the show. So uh, I, I'd be one of the girls today, right? That'd be awesome. I love it. Um, we are so excited you're here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I was brought up with an older and a younger sister. I don't have any brothers, so I'm, and I was a male cheerleader for nine years. So I'm, I'm okay with being you got one of the girls. This. Yeah. <laughs> So, so we're good to go. Um, so a, a little bit on me. Um, I am a father of four. I've been married for almost 18 years and um, born and raised here in San Diego. I ran health clubs for the majority of my professional life. Um, and I got in a really bad motorcycle accident and I, I couldn't use the left side of my body for like five months. And, uh, wow up until that point in my life, I, uh, I had been the breadwinner, right? Like I just went to work, I got a paycheck, I brought it home, made sure everybody was, was taken care of. Um, but my role as being a dad, I, I, I never really understood it. Um, and then when I was laying on the couch, cause we had a two, two story home, I was laying on the couch cause I couldn't go upstairs. And my children were like, these really cool little human beings that I'd never really spent any time with. Um, so I told my wife that I didn't want to work anymore, um, <laughs> which for, for most wives would probably be like, come again. <laughs> That's a hard um, Right. Yeah. But my wife's a rock star and she's like, cool, stay home with the kids. And I was like, Yahtzee. Um, so I got to be an at home dad and, uh, that it, I'm still, in my mind, I'm still an at-home dad. 
because um, after about four or five months, I started being able to like walk and use my body again. And you can only go feed the ducks so often, right? You can only go <laughs> to so many like things at the library. And then I felt like I could do more. So that's when I got my real estate license. And initially I told my wife, I'm like, hey, if I just sell like two or three houses a year, that'll pay for family vacations. That'll pay for little fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into like what it is, right? Where I get to truly help people. And uh, then, you know, got into the industry and I was on Kyle's team here in San Diego for uh, a little over a year. And then uh, just kind of happened from there. That's, that's awesome. I, I already am like so excited that we have you on because this is this is going to be great. Thank you for oh, sharing cool. that to your story. Like that was really cool to hear. So I love that. We we really like we rarely have a male on the podcast, which you already called out. Like we we rarely do. It's probably like a handful of times that we have. And we when we first saw you or when we saw you on stage at the Fast Forward conference, I was like literally in my notebook. I have podcast in these big <laughs> letters and have it circled like guest. I'm like done, done, done. Like so I could go back and find it because I took so many notes. Like you just really resonated with me, what we're doing, like that whole imposter syndrome and how that shows up. And there are so many times that like like you openly shared about imposter syndrome, which so much of us deal with. And it was just a really clear representation of the struggle. And hearing it from a man was just a different perspective. And so knowing that it exists in all of us or most of us, um, if you've escaped it, that's amazing, like rock on. But it was really refreshing to hear that. So that's really why we wanted to have, have you on. And we're just really grateful that you're willing to speak about this with our audience. So can you share a little bit more about how that has impacted your business and your personal life? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to talk about truthfully. Um, and that's, I think why I make myself talk about it. Um, there's power in acknowledging that, that you're suffering from something. Um, and I I agree with you. I think men in general have a hard time acknowledging that they're suffering in general. Um, and, I don't know, like from my upbringing, it was just kind of like grit your teeth and bear, rub some dirt on it and keep it moving. Nobody wants to hear that. Um, And I I envy how women have the ability to acknowledge and and share and deal with what they feel um, because I think you guys have it down. And that's something that men could really learn quite a lot about. Um, But as far as the the impact that it's had – like I shared, I, I was on Kyle's team for about a year as an agent, and then I became his sales manager. So I was helping run the team um, as far as production goes. And <clears throat> after about two and a half years of teaching, training, coaching, um, which I, I really enjoy doing, um, I, I felt that I, I could do more, right? Kind of like that feeling I had when I was getting off the couch. Like I, I could do more than just go feed the ducks. And I was like, yeah, kind of like, I think I'm, I'm losing money by not being an agent. So um, I came out of being a sales manager kind of with a chip on my shoulder. Like I'm going to show these agents what I've been preaching can, can really get you what you want. And that first year that I came out of being a sales manager, I, I did 37 million in production personally. Holy and, crap. Oh, wow. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I was very busy. Um, but I, I just had my head down and I, I was so busy that I didn't have time to sit back and think of what I was doing or really even acknowledge the accomplishments that I was having. I was just diligently working and fast forward to the end of that year. And I start getting invited on podcasts. I start getting invited to talk on, on panels. Um, I'm getting kudos and acknowledgements here in the office for being like the number one agent on the team, selling the most units that's ever been sold on the whistle team. And immediately I start having these thoughts of I'm a, I'm a fraud. Like this was a fluke. This, you know, like how, how am I the, the person getting these accolades when there's other agents that have been doing this longer that are, you know, so much more polished than I am. Um, they're more deserving than I am are, are these thoughts that I'm having. Um, you know, cause me as a kid, when I was growing up, like <laughs> we didn't come from money, right? Uh, my dad didn't buy a house until he was, I, I want to say like 44. Right. So, um, like we'd rented and moved and he was an alcoholic. Like there was, there was all kinds of turmoil and, and trauma. Right. And I, I never saw myself as someone that was worthy of success. Um, and that, that took a really deep seated root in me. And the following years when I did 18 million in production, because I, I couldn't get out of my own way. Everything I did was met with self-sabotage, was met with just, I don't know, like I, I, I was depressed. I, I felt like I wasn't enough. It negatively impacted the communication that I had with my wife. God love her for hanging out with me. <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it was a dark time in my, in, in my life, which is ironic because I had just made a million dollars and it's like, that, that doesn't make sense because I would talk to other people and they're like, Oh my God, you're killing it. You're amazing. You're doing these great things. And I'm like, but you don't feel what I feel. You, <laughs> you're not, you're not going through what I'm going through in between my ears. And, uh, I mean, it, it was paralyzing for my business. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, cause I, it, it literally cut my productivity in half and, uh, I don't know. Does that answer your question? Hopefully that answers your question. I don't know. <laughs> it totally does. Yeah, absolutely does. And thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, that was a really raw look at. I feel <laughs> like you and I walked a very parallel path. I was in Minnesota walking that same path with you last year. I started a yeah. team and then had a great year. And then last year did half of my amount of business. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Like, holy yeah. crap. Like, I'm not cut out for this. I'm not good enough. We both come from alcoholics in our background. I'm like, there's a reason we resonated with you yeah. for sure. Yeah, That's the woo totally. side of what we love doing. <laughs> it's like there was something that drew us to you for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I firmly believe nothing happens on accident. No. 
Uh, we yeah. and we we are of that same school of thought. Yes. Well, we've awesome. done two podcast episodes on imposter syndrome because it's a real deal around here, and just the impact that it's had on mine and Christy's lives. Um, if anyone wants to check back, we did episode fifteen, navigating imposter syndrome and how to start believing you're enough, and then also episode fifty six, and it was feeling like a fraud. Um, so this is something that so many of us struggle with, and for me personally, it really shows up as like being a good leader and. Like, like, am I qualified to run a team? Am I qualified to um, have success and achieve all my goals? Um, so, like, when it shows up for you, how like how do you work through it? Like, when you you know cut your productivity in half, like how do you get through that? And like, what <clears throat> how do you set yourself up for success going forward? Well, I was I was in a dark place, right? Obviously, and. Uh, it was getting at a point where I was just watching the amount of money that was in our bank account just kept going down. And, um, I was constantly irritable and my wife finally was like, dude, (laughs) like you're not my normal goofy ass husband. Like what is going on? And luckily she was coming from a place of like compassion and love and support. And she was like, what can we do to help you refocus? Right. And she knows that I'm an avid reader. So she asked, she was like, what have you been reading recently? Like, what are you putting in to try to keep this from coming out? And, uh, I, it, it, I acknowledged, I was like, I, I haven't been reading. I haven't been feeding my brain. I haven't been, you know, really helping myself get out of this rut. I've just been wallowing. So um, she goes, well, you always seem happy when you're reading. And uh, if nothing else, I want to see you happy. So why don't you read something? I was like, all right. So I started looking up different books and, And I kind of tapped into some of the trainings and coaching that I've done in the past where I help agents kind of get out of a rut. And I acknowledged, I was like, okay, it always comes back to mindset, right? You have growth mindset, fixed mindset, that concept. Um, So I started doing research on different authors of of mindset uh, literature. And I found a book by Dr. Carol Dweck. It's called Mindset. It's the most powerful, influential book I've ever read in my life. Wow. And I've, prob- I've probably yep. read 14 books this year. <laughs> okay. Um, but Dr. Carol Dweck, I don't know how to spell her last name, but um, it, the book is called Mindset. And it, it changed the way that I talk to my kids. It changed the way that I talk to myself. And... To, to say that I've escaped imposter syndrome is absolutely not true. I think it's something that everybody that is striving for greatness is going to get. I think every single human being is going to deal with it at some level as long as they are striving to be better than where they're at. And in that book, it, it really focuses on uh, specific behaviors and exercises that you can do to pull yourself out of a fixed mindset and move into a growth mindset. 
And the, the whole concept of imposter syndrome is living in a fixed mindset. You are attaching your self-worth, your abilities to preconceived notions. You're attaching your self-worth to results of things that have happened in the past, as opposed to looking at those things as learning opportunities to grow from. My worth is not a product of my results at all. Results are something that I have no control over. I focus on what I can control and I give myself kudos for the things that I do well. And I give myself acknowledgement for the things that maybe I didn't do well, but I still attempted to do. Right. So acknowledging the small wins, acknowledging the small um, opportunities that I tried to take advantage of and not focus so much on the result has helped me shift my thought process from focusing on my inadequacies and it's helped me focus on opportunities. Wow. That's, that's really powerful. It's really beautiful. I actually. need to get this book. <laughs> Amazon.com. I, I read it every year now. We're going to link that book in the show notes. I think. Yeah. That, that seems sounds. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so powerful. Like, I know the majority of the people listening to this are probably going to be ladies and that's amazing. Um, honestly, like it, I'm going to get fucking emotional. Sorry. It has, it has strengthened my relationship with my children because of the way that I speak to them now, because I'm not thinking there was a time where I felt their, their results were, uh, uh, a gauge of my ability as a father. So when they would get a C instead of a B or an A, if they came in fourth instead of first, it's because I failed them as a father and I would somehow take that out on them. And I would only focus on results for them. And I would, it was the wrong way of sending the right message. And I'm telling you from a parent to a parent from, you know, a stay at home dad to stay at home moms that probably listen to this, which is a fucking badass title and you should own it and earn it and love it because it's a freaking hard job. This book will help you communicate the appropriate message and foster the beautiful, great behaviors that our children have. And if you can learn how to do that with your kids the next step is learning how to do that with yourself. I don't even have kids and I'm crying. I know. Like we're all crying here. <laughs> I love that. I love this so much. Oh my God. This is the stuff that dads don't talk about. I don't even have kids, but like seeing, you know, Christy and Ryan and like their, how beautifully they parent their, their child Kaya. It, it's really cool to like hear a dad talk about this sort of stuff. Like I'm, I love this. I do too. It's like good stuff. It is. Whew. It's big stuff. It's deep stuff. It's yeah. important stuff too. It's yeah. really the stuff that's life changing. Okay. So I'm going to be super honest here. <laughs> it was really surprising to hear a man on stage in front of a bunch of like heavy hitters talk about this so openly. It's not something that we see. So when you're feeling like this, who is your go-to person to talk to? And do you think this is just as prevalent in men as women, yet we're like more openly sharing it, which you sort of touched on a little bit that it affects everyone. 
But what does that look like from a man's perspective? Um, <laughs> that's hard to answer because the my go-to person is my wife, but I don't go to her. And a lot of friction between us in my relationship is because I don't communicate well enough. Mm. Um, and I, I would venture to say that most men probably feel that same way um, where we might sit in the car for an extra minute before we go inside to gather our thoughts and, and kind of deal with our demons before we put on the dad face and go inside and, now I've got dad duties to attend to, and I'm sure moms do the exact same thing where you might take an extra bit of time in the driveway before you go inside, or you send the kids in the house before you go inside. You're like, oh, I got to get this out of the car. And you take that extra second to kind of have that peace. Um, but I think the the basis of your question is incredibly powerful that you need to have that, that, that sounding board and, it's not so much somebody that you need to blow up your balloon. You know what I mean? You don't need somebody to fluff you up, but sometimes you just need somebody to hear you and acknowledge what you're going through. Um, and it's, it's definitely not commonplace amongst men to, to do that or even have that person. Um, we've, we've never really learned how to deal with that or how to acknowledge those things. We just kind of band-aid it and keep it moving. And um, I, I kind of touched on that at the beginning of the podcast is, you know, that's something I, I really envy about how, how women have that innate ability to kind of share their feelings and, and navigate through their feelings with other people um, unapologetically. And, you know, that's, that's something that I think men could really do a much, much better job at. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going I'm to throw a curveball question here because it's kind of what I do. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm down. How, how do you think we go about changing that? Like, how do you think men in general can go about changing that or creating space so it is something you're able to talk about a little more freely? That's so hard because it's it's uncomfortable for men to and, – and, and this is a blanket statement. Definitely there are, there are probably men that are exceptional at this <laughs> um, from my experience. And men, men are very uncomfortable sharing their feelings with one another because it's, it's a source of vulnerability and we do not want to be vulnerable amongst other men. Um, right, wrong, or indifferent. I, I, I feel that's a general thought process. Um, and you kind of pointed it out with what you just said. You were like, it was strange to see a man in front of such heavy hitters mm -hmm. be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Because we are in kind of a doggy dog world. And in especially in this industry, if you're putting up numbers, then you're somehow beyond reproach, right? If if you're doing these massive numbers, then then you've got your shit together and and, and you know what you're doing. Um but 
in reality, I think everybody's just trying to get their shit together and just try to do the best with what they have. And, and women are just so much better at acknowledging their struggles and identifying them as struggles. And you, you women, um, I feel do so, so wonderful of a job at navigating and identifying what those struggles are and then overcoming them where I think the flip side of that coin is men will say, yeah, that's a struggle, but we're just going to grit our teeth and get through it. It's not a matter of like exploring the best way of going about it or trying to figure out the best options to get through it or even how to not have it happen again. It's more or less, we're just going to keep hitting our head against the wall until the struggle goes away. (laughs) And then the struggle will pop up again and we're like, well, it worked last time. I'll just do it again. (laughs) You know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail where I think women have a much more diverse toolbox. So I, I think the the short answer to your question would be we as we men need to get much more uh, expansive in our toolbox of how to acknowledge and deal with and share and communicate our feelings in order for for this to become more commonplace, you know, to, to conversation. I'm going to share your cell phone number with my husband's cell phone number and you guys can start a group. Okay. <laughs> you know, this, this I keep thinking about, we did an episode probably about a year ago about what does bravery look like to you? And I think of you on stage sharing that as a man, like that's what it looks like. Yeah. And like, this makes me teary eye because that's, that's the identity of bravery. And I just, I have goosebumps. Like I just, I just wanted to share that because I keep thinking about that as, as you're talking. Whew. Okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. We're going to shift gears a little bit here. So we talk a lot about balance and harmony um, on the podcast and you have four kids, like you mentioned a wife who seems incredible, by the way, I want to know her. Like yeah. I need her in my friend's circle, a uh, successful real estate business. How do you find the balance of it all? What does that look like for you? Oh, um, I live out of my calendar. So like taking my kids to school is in my calendar. Picking my kids up from school is in my calendar. Um, Taking the kids to the movies in my calendar. Um, Taking the wife out for dinner. It's in my calendar. Um, It is imperative to me. Like this is a me thing. We have dinner together every night. As a family, we sit down at the dinner table. Um, I love cooking, so I I do the majority of the cooking. um, And I'll cook dinner. We sit down at the table, and it's, how was your day? What have you done today? What was cool that happened today? Honey, how was work today? Right? Like, let's share stories. Let's be a family. Um, Because to me, there's nothing more important in life than family. And to me, that's... That's the children that I have at the table. That's my wife sitting across the way because all the bullshit that I go through every day, all the bullshit that we go through every day, that's the reason we go through it. And um, so, yeah, I I just stay very, very focused on, um, I I guess you could say my why, you know, and uh, like my, my screen on my phone, I've got my vision board on there. Right. So 
Every um, time I open my phone, I, I see the things that are most important to me because like when I don't want to next, you know, knock the next door or make the next phone call or I'm walking away from a listing appointment that just told me to go fuck myself. I look at that. And I'm like, okay, that's why I'm going to make the next, next phone call. That's why it, it's okay to hear no right now because I'm going to hear yes soon. So if, if it's not on my calendar, it doesn't exist. And I stay very grounded to my why by those family dinners and by, you know, taking my wife out on a date once a month and I take each kid out on a date, <laughs> you know, that. so that That's way really I special. get one on one time with really them special. and they feel like they're not one of, but they are my son. That is my daughter and not just one of my kids. So I don't Hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> no, that's so awesome. It really does. Well, and you share a lot about the importance of building a stronger community. Like that's part of your bio. Um, how has that really impacted your business? And like, why is that really important to you? That's the community is, I guess you could, you could say like, you've got family is like your, your tight circle. And then just outside of that is your community. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of power within community. Um, my wife makes a joke because every time we go anywhere, like we go to Walmart, we go to Target, we go to breakfast, we go to the gas station, somebody there knows me. <laughs> we'll be walking down the aisle and it's like, hey, Mike. And I'm like, oh, hey, guy. I don't know who that is. And, <laughs> and she's like, it's like walking around with a celebrity. And I, I think it's kind of cool. I'm like, this is neat. I know people everywhere. But it's because like I, I go to community events and we'll have like chili cook-offs or like there's a bluegrass festival or like all these different things. And like um, I'm also a, a wrestling coach at a local high school. So I'm really involved in the high school and I go to like other sports meets just to like go support wrestling or go to support athletics and stuff. Um, I, I think we have a responsibility as realtors to be hyper involved in a community because we are building communities. We are helping people move into and out of communities and we need to be ambassadors for those communities. We should know where the cool parks are. We should know where the good restaurants are. We should know what developments are, are coming up or up for debate. And we should have an opinion on those. And we should have, you know, a finger on the pulse of what that community wants and, and thrives with, right? Because otherwise we're just transacting and there's no, there's no life in transaction, right? So I don't know. That's the way I feel about it anyway. I love that there's no life in transaction. That makes so much, much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. All right. So you're crushing it in real estate, obviously. Uh, what have you found you. to be your biggest tools in setting yourself up for success every single day? <clears throat> so I actually did a training on this this morning. <laughs> um, we... We as realtors get into real estate, most of us anyway, and our entire life we've been employees, right? Um, you go to work, you're given a task list because the business owner has identified in order for their business to be profitable, they need their worker bees to do X, Y, and Z. 
And if their worker bees do X, Y, and Z, the business will make money. We as realtors never look at our business that way. <laughs> we become a business owner and I'm like, I get to make my own schedule. I'm not going to work this morning. I'm going to sleep in today, right? Like whatever that is. And then all of a sudden we're like, holy shit, my bank account's low. I need to get to work. <laughs> yeah. But one thing that, that I know I do well is I look at my business. I put my business owner hat on and I'm like, okay, in order to be profitable, I need to make let's just say $200,000. Well, if my average sales price is $650,000 and my average commission is two and a half percent, you do that math and you're like, okay, so I'm going to make about $17,000 in gross commission every time I sell a property. Well, if I need to make 200 grand, 17 of it, and you do your math backwards and you know what your conversion numbers are, Right? So you know how many people you need to talk to to book an appointment. You know how many appointments you need to have one show. You know how many you need to meet with in order to sign a contract. You know how many contracts you need to sign in order to have a closing. Then it's just math. right? And, and as much as we don't want to be numbers people, we are numbers people. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if I asked you, like, what commission do you charge? I promise you, you know that number. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's one thing like. I know for a fact, I know the numbers of my business. I know how many people I need to talk to to book an appointment. And that right there is tangible. That's something I can control. I can't control the end result. I can't control the amount of transactions. But you know what? I know if I have 100 appointments this year, there's no question I'm going to make 200 grand. I know that if I have 150 appointments that I meet with this year, I'm going to make 350, right? So I focus on my controllable numbers. So the uncontrollable number becomes just a product of what I've already done. That's that awesome. Help? Is that? Yeah, that's okay. great. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so to kind of a follow-up question to that. So you did 18 million in volume last year and like double the year before, and you're still choosing to be on a team, which I love. So like, how do you go about defining success and where do you see, where do you see things going? Where do you see your career path going in the future? Um, so I love being a part of this team. Uh, the whistle team in particular, Kyle, uh, he's not on the leading edge. He's on the bleeding edge of real estate. Um, like if there's something new and exciting and cool coming out, he's like, yeah, we'll try that. And he plugs it in. So I am, I'm constantly inundated with, Oh, that's new. Oh, that's new. Oh, that's cool. So I'm, I'm constantly learning and being challenged. The amount of resources that I have by being a part of a team I wouldn't want to stroke the check for all the cool stuff that I have access to, right? So like I'm in a podcast studio right now. Yeah, your studio is yes, so badass. Really, really cool. We saw it in person and when we were at the conference <laughs> and they're like, holy crap, this is like hashtag life goals right now. <laughs> right. Holy mackerel, right? Like yeah. I don't I don't want to stroke a check to buy this building and create this podcast studio. No, I'll just be on your team and get to use it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, 
right? And th- th- that's the like cool, flashy stuff. But what about like the, the the real meat and potatoes of what I love about being a part of a team is I am shoulder to shoulder with highly productive, like hungry, ravenous, like f- career focused realtors that all they want to do is get better, right? And this is one of the things that that I learned by doing the research I did about the imposter syndrome. It's funny how this kind of came back around full circle, but the people you surround yourself with are going to dictate your success. They're going to dictate your mindset. Mm -hmm. If you're surrounded by a bunch of people that are whining, that are victims, that aren't forward focused, that only look in the back way, right? That back rear view mirror, you're going to be that person too. You're going to be focused on what happened yesterday. You're going to be focused on, you know, your, your alcoholic dad and how he threw you into walls and, you know, how he told you you'd never be good enough. And yeah, that's what you're going to see. But if you surround yourself with people that are like, how do I improve my life? Where's my next opportunity? Let's lean in on each other and make each other better. Holy shit, does your perspective change? Yep. And I, I can't that. I can't put a I can't put a price tag on that. Because when I come into the office, I'm not surrounded by people that are like, "Man, this market's terrible." Blah, blah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm walking in and somebody's like, "Oh my god, I did this and I did that. Let's role play this. I didn't overcome an objection. Can you role play it with me? And it's just like this cacophony of just production mindset. And it's so enthusiastic and it's so motivating. And and I, I guess the short answer would be the reason I'm a part of this team is because of that. This extra cool, like fluffy stuff, that's neat. But being able to plug into a ecosystem of just super focused and determined, pure hearted people. You can't put a price tag on that. So that's why I'm a part of a team still. And I think that's without question, a reason why I am successful because I'm surrounded by those people all the time where I see myself going from here. I don't know. (laughs) Um, my expectation would be probably sometime in the next five to 10 years. Let's see. Sydney, my youngest, is in fifth grade. So let's say when she graduates from high school and goes off to take over the world, because that's what she'll do. Um, so let's say seven years from now, um, I, I will probably start my own team. Um throttle back on my personal production and focus more on teaching, training, developing so that my wife and I can buy an RV and just travel the world like Kung Fu. <laughs> I love it. That's, That's awesome. awesome. That's so awesome. Good goals. Good totally. Life goals. So I would love to know what advice would you give a man or woman listening to the show who's struggling with imposter syndrome, believing they're not good enough, even knowing even when they know what's holding them back from what they really want, what would you say to them? Um, (laughs) 
the first thing that I would say to somebody that's that's really struggling with imposter syndrome is you are enough. A hundred percent. Everything that you've gone through, all the bullshit, all the trials, all the tribulations has added up to you being who you are today. And who you are today is fucking perfect. You don't have to change. Are you where you want to be? That's really the question you need to ask yourself. If you are not where you want to be, you're in the driver's seat. You are in the perfect position to take the next step to being that person you want to be. You've never been closer before. That's That's what I would say. You are in the driver's seat and you are enough. Mic drop. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) That's really it. This has I been such it. an incredible interview. Thank you. Gosh, so much. And we'll, we will link the book. Mike, say the name of the book one more time, the mindset book. Who's the author of it? Dr. Carol Dweck. Okay. We're all going to have to go on Amazon and order this book up, but we'll, we'll link it in the show notes too. Yes, please Thank do. You. Cause it's incredible. Yeah. I'm excited to get my hands on that book now. Yeah. <laughs> you gave it, you gave it glowing reviews. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Mike, where can where can all of our listeners find you? Where are all your social um, handles? And I'm, I'm on yeah, I'm on all the socials, right? Facebook, uh, my name. Just look up Mike Proctor in San Diego. It'll be. I think it's a picture of me and the kids and the wifey. We went bowling, um, but you can find me on Instagram um, at Proc Diesel, like my last name P R O C, and then Diesel. Cause I'm six foot one, 295 pounds. It's been a nickname of mine for some time. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are, those are the only two socials that I'm on. I'm on LinkedIn. You know, you can find me on LinkedIn, but I'm primarily on Facebook and Instagram. Love so. it. Awesome. Yay. Thank you so, so much for being here. I love it. Rock. This was so much fun. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, thank you for your time and sharing your perspective on what imposter syndrome, how it shows up for a dude. We really appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing, sharing your insight into a lot of what we struggle with on a regular basis. Yeah, for sure. That's right awesome. All right. So, okay, bus benchways until next time, remember to keep your face off a bus bench and keep being the badass boss babe that you are. Okay, girls, are you feeling as inspired as we are? We're over here cheering you on because you just finished another episode of the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. If you want more, head over to girlgetyourfaceoffabusbench.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. They mean the world to us and they're what keep us going. Girl, thanks for being here.